that I had a great time um, at Community of Faith, and I heard you guys had a great time with Jeff. Such a, uh, such a great friend and brother of mine. I don't know how much he was able to, to, to discuss um, our relationship, but for those of you here last week, I, I've known Jeff since I was in my early 20s. We were roommates when we were single. We were thankful when we were not roommates. Glad that that was a short period of my life. Um, and um, I can say this about Jeff, and you'll, you'll hopefully over the course of years that you're walking with us, if you stay around, that you'll get to see a lot more of Jeff. But he is, he probably of any person that I know holds with integrity the word of God in his knowledge of God and his life of God more than anybody I know. He is the real deal. He is a man of no guile. He's a man of faith. He's a man of integrity. He's a man who walks in humility and forgiveness. And I'm so thankful for him and his friendship. He has been my strongest advocate and strongest support in my times of trial apart from my wife and family. And um, he's a good man. He's a good pastor. I'm thankful for Community of Faith, Christian Fellowship, and the leadership that he provides for that church. And I'm thankful that he gets an opportunity at times to give us something of what he's got. I had a great time with CFCF as well. It was such a privilege to be back and. That gym over in Brighton, the church that this church was planted out of and the church that I left behind to see this work established and um, fun worship and hungry hearts and responsive to Jesus. So we have, a, we have a great family that we're a part of. So thank you for letting me be a part of that. We spent the last two weeks talking about spiritual warfare. You know, I think um, we also recognize that we are not in an academic situation, are we? We talked about it, and then we've lived it, right? Um, as is true often with the enemy, he overplays his hand, and uh, the things that he means for harm, God turns in for good. But it doesn't mean that he's not, as I described him two weeks ago to you, and maybe Jeff did as well, he is not some cartoon character with a pitchfork, but he, he plays for keeps. He likes to kill. He likes to destroy people's lives. He likes to frustrate, confound, confuse, and wreck you. That's his plan. The good news is is that greater is Jesus in us than he is in the world. So we never have to walk into defeat or fear because we have Jesus on our side. Right? We've got to remember that. We've got to be aware of the enemy's schemes, but even more aware of how awesome God is. Okay, yep, you're right, devil. I see what you're doing, and you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel that I don't, want to mess with, but I do have Jesus, and he's defeated you. We've got to remember that. Not out of false pride, not out of arrogance, not out of super spirituality. A humble confidence, I think, is the best way of communicating it. A reverent confidence that Christ is on the throne. So we've been doing that, and we've been living it with Jay, and we've already communicated that, and I just want to reiterate again what an awesome body of Christ that we have to walk with. Jay has said that over and over again this week. Wow, this church is awesome. I mean, we've had, from the minute that she was in the hospital the first time, we had six to a dozen people uh, in the waiting room praying, calling out to God with Jay the whole time through the first few days never leaving his side. 24-7 prayers starting up in the middle of the night at 11 o'clock, people signing up for the middle of the night rounds 
um, um, Cassidy pulling together a prayer sheet that first night to get people praying and people signing up for prayer and then people meeting at the church and people meeting in the hospital rooms, um, warring on Susan's behalf, getting her, as one person said, a friend of Jay's, she was um, a threat away from dying, getting her on the hospital, getting her on the air vac uh, helicopter to the hospital and making it, praying, serving, um, available. Faith groups uh, met at the hospital. They, uh, whole gr- uh, they had, uh, I think the Snapes group had its highest attendance for the last few weeks at the hospital. You know, so we are therefore now having faith groups in all hospitals throughout the city so people can show up and actually best attendance they've had. Um, they met in the meditation room um, around the corner from the hospital, the meditation room, and uh, they, had, they had church. The next night, the next faith group shows up. They not only um, had church, but they brought an offering. They brought a financial offering. And when Jay opened the envelope and his buddy was there with him expecting 30 or 40 bucks, it was quite a bit more than 30 or 40 bucks. And his buddy was like, dude, what's up with that? I mean, do they do that? And I mean, are, does that surprise you? And Jay goes, I'm overwhelmed, but it doesn't surprise me because this, this is what this church does. guys are awesome. I haven't looked at the uh, prayer sheet in the last few hours, but up until yesterday afternoon, every slot was filled up through today to this point in the service, when to get Jay to the service, pray him into the service so that he could be here. We're, um, we're just really thankful. When I speak for Jay, he was going to get up and share, but it's been a little more emotional today than he expected. Jay is extremely thankful. Susan is extremely thankful. She just hasn't been able to say it yet. But she will. Amen. Let's not give up battling. Jay is very clear to say after every good report, hey, just remind everybody it's not over yet. Right? So we're not stopping. We're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to have the prayer sign up out there. My thought is, is that we're going to pray her out of critical. I'm praying critical off her name. Right? And so until we get off a of critical, we are going to be praying. And, I mean, 24-7 prayer. And then we'll kind of evaluate after critical what needs to happen. But I think that God's doing something not just in the Lane's life. He's doing something in our lives. He's making us aware of the things that are most important. Amen? He's making us aware of the goodness and the power that resides in us that we sometimes don't tap into all the time because of our negligence because of our busy lives, because of our attention to the things that are happening in our world and not realizing that there's so much more reservoir in us that's of God to be given out in a way. He's doing something of faith in our life that we need to hold on to. I just want to thank you for fighting. As we focus this week on Nehemiah, we're not going to abandon this, this, this book series because 
uh, actually, it, it dovetails in really nicely to where we are as a body of Christ. So we're going to stay on top of, of this series and look at Nehemiah 5 this, this morning. And I'm going to do, do so very quickly as I'm looking at the clock. But um, we've been, been following the, the children of Israel and specifically Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the king of Persia, who along with many of the children of Israel had been carried into captivity into Babylon. And now the Persian Empire is ruling that part of the world. And Nehemiah gets wind of the fact that the walls of Jerusalem have been broken down and the, and the, the situation in Jerusalem is, is not as good as it was 12 years ago, 12 years prior, when Ezra had been there to lead, lead the people out in a revival and um, rebuild the temple. And so he gets word of the falling down walls and the state of condition of Jerusalem. He calls out to God through prayer and fasting to give him favor with the king to allow himself to go back as a leader um, to begin to the process of rebuilding the walls. And favor of God is upon him. Grant, the, the king grants him um, favor grants him a written access throughout the land of protection and sends with him resources and protection to get the job done. God opened the heart of the king to establish the purposes that he had for his people. He gets back to Jerusalem, rallies the people to rebuild the wall. They rally behind his words and they start to do it and they rebuild half the wall. But in the midst of rebuilding half the wall, the enemies of of the Israelites and the enemies in that sense of God begin to speak their lies of accusation, of intimidation, of fear, of threat. And Nehemiah mobilizes the people not only to continue to work together to build the wall, but to continue to stand ready in the face of the enemy and to not be defeated in their spirit or their energy, but to rise up and be strong in the Lord. And they, again, respond to the Lord to do so. And so they have built... The wall or are completing the wall, and then we get to Nehemiah 5, and we see another issue going on, right? So let's read chapters, uh, I mean, verses 1 through 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. There's a There's a famine going on. And still others were saying we've had to borrow money to pay the king's taxes on our fields and our vineyards. Although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. We don't have any way of buying them back or rescuing them from the debt of our fellow countrymen and or those that have been of, of um, the surrounding nations that some of their sons and daughters have been sold to. So when we talk about rebuilding walls, we talked about uh, rebuilding the walls of holiness, um, integrity, teamwork, unity, love for God, building those walls up in our life that had maybe fallen down, both individually, corporately, and within our community. Um, And when we look at this passage of Scripture, and as we start to look at Nehemiah 5, in order for our spiritual walls to be rebuilt in our lives, the church and the community's socioeconomic walls must be torn down. 
So we're going to tear down a wall this morning. We've been talking about not tearing down walls, but a wall that has to come down in order for the walls of righteousness and godliness and glorification of God and who He is in the community, in order for that wall to be established, a wall of separation has to come down in our midst in regards to money. In regards to the haves and the have-nots. In regards to how we're living among one another in relation to our resources. Now remember, I'm not preaching at you. We're just on chapter 5 in Nehemiah. And I didn't pick this series so that we could get to chapter 5. I just want you to know that. So don't, for all of you who struggle with condemnation, pastor and God are not condemning you right now, nor are they, there's no spotlight on anybody in this room. I'm not preaching to any one person. But as we sit here in this service looking at chapter 5, we all say, pastor included, God, what wall have I built up? What wall of judgment? What wall of indifference? What wall of selfishness? Whatever that wall would be. What have I built up that um, does not allow me to see injustices or needs in other people's lives the way I should see them? That's what Nehemiah is addressing. And as we go further in the chapter, you're going to realize he addresses it pretty boldly. We've got to have these walls broken down. We're not talking about, and by the way, when I talk about culture, we're not talking about capitalism or communism. We're not talking about some kind of, of political initiative. As, as a matter of fact, in both of those systems, wherever you sit on the fence or anywhere in between, um, they all look the same because humans are involved without God normally. With God, both of those systems could probably work pretty well, right? But unless godly people and godly intent are in the middle of money, it always goes bad, doesn't it? So with capitalism, um, capitalism can be a, a very much a, a economic culture of I'm living to make myself better. I'm living to make more money, earn more for me. And oftentimes the criticism, again, I'm not, I'm just going to just want to just step on everybody's toes in the room. So for those of you, everybody's toes are going to be stepped on. For those of us who are living, hey, yeah, that's the way, you know, capitalism, it's, it's in the Bible, isn't it? You know, it's, I, 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 I know it is, you know. Um, for those of you who are like, that's kind of, you know, the system itself has wonderful things about independence and um, non-control and, motivation to work hard and all the things that we would say, but there is built within the system of capitalism a danger of not thinking about those who can't or have not had the opportunities that you have. And it builds judgments at times in people's lives, doesn't it? Why don't you work harder? Why don't you get out and do something more? Why don't you do this without sometimes thinking about where a person comes from, where they started their journey from? Not, I'm not throwing away capitalism. We live in a capitalistic society, but there are dangers within it. Communism is no different. Oh, communism. You know, stand out in Cambridge and convert people to communism. <laughs> I only say that because I was there yesterday, and I was tried, somebody tried to convert me. You know, um, uh, Communism is no different in its ideal if it's born out of the place of, heart, of love and in service and others focus, awesome. But we know every communistic country that we know, it didn't turn out that way, did it? 
it still turned out to be greedy. It's just that the, the greedy people have different names. There's still haves and have-nots and, haves and have-nots in both, both systems and in all systems apart from Jesus. Because Paul himself says that the love of money is, is a form of evil. Right? It, is, it, leads to, it can lead, if, if our heart's desire is a love for money or a, a, a focus on just money, and what it does or doesn't do, it can lead us astray. It, money itself is not evil, by the way. I just want you to know that. We have to have money. We have to have some kind of system to buy goods and resources. But the love of it, the focus on it, we have to be careful where our heart goes. And it's present even in this circumstance. Isn't it interesting that here they are in a critical trial of, of living, their walls of protection are down. They are in a crisis. They're in a place where all of them, rich and poor, could be killed, could their, their lives could be totally overturned, and in the midst of their laboring together to build a wall, some of the people in the room were charging interest to the others who didn't have anything. How do we do that? How do we, out of one side of our life, live as if we are being so selfless and sacrificing and laboring, etc., and yet in one side of our lives, we are not even attentive to the way that we are living in disparity and not attentive to the needs around us? That's what Nehemiah is addressing, and yet it's, it's obviously in this situation very unlike any of our situations, I would hope. It's very grievous what they are doing. <clears throat> in God's economy, those who have, uh, some of us have more, some of us have less, that's not the issue. In God's economy, um, Paul talks about in our haves and have nots, everyone has enough. Right? So he doesn't worry about rich and poor. He doesn't try to level the field so that everybody has the same bland house and the same bland car and the same bank account and we're all shuffling our money to make sure that everybody has the same. That is not what Paul is talking about. What he's talking about, that in our haves and in our much or less, we are living together to honor and serve one another. 2 Corinthians 8 12 through 15, if the willingness is there, the gift is access, ex, um, acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. There is a time and a place where I have something that provides your need. And there is a time coming where what you have supplies my need. And I would say in this passage of Scripture, it's not just talking about eggs for eggs and apples for apples. There are sometimes I am not anticipating winning the lottery. I'm not anticipating that there is going to be an, an, um, an elder movement that you are going to start paying me a million dollars. I'm not anticipating that in my lifetime, I'm going to be, according to the standards of this world, a wealthy, rich man. I am a wealthy, rich man. Let me take that back. I am wealthy compared to the rest of the world. But I'm not anticipating that I'm going to be rich according to American standards. But I'm rich. 
I am incredibly wealthy. I am. I have resources that supply my needs. Thankful to you, and I'm talking about myself here, but I could talk about each one of you in your specific situation. But I also have wealth in other ways that sometimes you don't have, that I have to give. Sometimes I have time, you don't have it. Sometimes I have wisdom that somebody might need. Sometimes I have an ear to listen. Sometimes I have, um, you see what I'm saying? Sometimes I have wealth that you are desperately needy of, and we supply the lack in each other's lives. We needed to get out on a date the other day, and Marianne was wealthy. Marianne said, I got five hours. I'll come and watch your kids. Praise God for wealthy Marianne. We'll take a little bit of that excess. Thank you, Jesus. You know, she said, you know what? I've been so blessed by this church in so many ways. I can give that. Yes, you can. Amen. Love you, Jay. All right. You know, you might miss something really good, dude. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, okay. <laughs> I didn't mean for you to be that vulnerable, but you know. <laughs> All right, touche. When we get into a place in our hearts and community, it's like this, where we're not thinking about what we have or have not, but we're thinking about all that we have in Jesus and how awesomely blessed we are to be with him and with one another. We start dealing blows to the enemy. We start, we start assaulting comparison. We start assaulting covetousness, however many nesses there is on that. We start assaulting materialism and greed because we're all beginning to realize that the resources that we possess, whether they're financial or spiritual or um, on and on, talents, etc., that they are given to us to be used and given away. But they weren't being lived that way in this passage of Scripture. There's always enough supply in a given community, amen? The real question is, is there enough love and awareness and obedience to get the supply to the place it needs to be? Let's continue on with Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 6. When I heard their outcry in these charges, Nehemiah said, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you're charging your own people interest? So I called together a large meeting to deal with him and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let's, uh, let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and all the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Give it back. Stop doing it. This is an abomination to the Lord. Do you not fear the Lord? Was Nehemiah's charge. 
What does, it, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Proverbs tells us it's to fear the Lord is to hate evil. And so what Nehemiah was saying is what you're doing is evil. And what was he identifying? Why were they doing it? Where was the disconnect of their wealth as opposed to somebody's dire need that, there was, their, that was their brother and sister? Where was the disconnect? The disconnect was that they were greedy. They were storing up treasures for themselves. They had lived in a time of leanness, probably, is what happened. They had been lean. They probably had all experienced a level of depression for their, their position in life that was not good. And when they saw the opportunity, they leveraged their resources against their brother and sister. And Nehemiah is saying, how can you sleep at night? We're sitting here working together to build a wall to protect us from the enemy and you're charging your fellow brothers and sisters' interest. You're taking their fields away from them. You're taking what they possess. You're, making, you're forcing them to sell their kids. Are you seeing where this is going? And the reality is, is that probably many of them didn't see where, they, where it was going. They were not aware of it because they were only looking to their own interest. No pun intended, or, or pun intended. Excuse me. God's not wanting us to charge others' interest and take advantage of one another, but He's calling us to look, look towards the interests of others. Philippians 2, 3-7, through 7, Do not out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus exited the best mansion in the world. The best position in all of the universe. To take his place with us. He, he set aside every right and privilege that he possessed. So that he could make a way for you and me. Why would we not in our place of thankfulness. Position ourselves in such a way that we are asking, praying. God, open my eyes. So that I can see the needs of those around me. So that I am not disconnected from what is the reality of other people's lives as I'm pursuing the fulfillment of my own dreams, my own retirement account, my own selling of my old car to get a new car, my own next degree that I'm going to, my own, my own, my own interest without looking to the interests of others. Obviously, we're not doing what's happening here, but are we at some lesser degree or maybe in the same degree when it comes to our heart? That's a question that we ask ourselves. God, am I indifferent? Am I unaware to the plight of my brothers and sisters around me? Nehemiah was challenging his people to evaluate. And as believers, this starts with our family, the church, but also extends to outside the church, amen? We're not just called to be interested in each other, but we're called to love our enemies. We're called to love people outside the church. We're not called to just give to one another, but God says, break it out. 
and give it to Waltham. Give it to people who can't believe you're giving to them. I love this story that I've shared with you before, but I'll share again of the church in Indonesia who had experienced persecution from a Muslim church in their area, um, one that had become physical and violent towards them. And they had, there had been a lull in that interaction. They were living very close to one another, so the tension was great. And at one day, the, the mosque burned down. Right? And all the church rejoiced. Right? There was a great celebration. Yes, the mosque is burned down. No. What the church did is saw an opportunity to express what is different about the kingdom of God in every other kingdom that's established in religion. They said, you know what? Even though you've persecuted us, we have within us the ability to love and to extend grace because Jesus has done something for us just the same way. And so they gathered money from their own coffers and, 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 and brought a large sum of money along with their laborers and said to the Muslim community and mosque, though you've persecuted us, we want you to know that God loves you. Here's money and here's our availability to help you rebuild your mosque. Probably confounds half of you in the room that they did that. Because some of us have not gotten a hold of the generosity of God. The generosity of God that says you will never, ever, ever run out of things to give if you give them away in the name of Jesus. The well will not run dry. And I could tell you story after story after story in my own life where we either physically in our monetary resources, our time and energy gave beyond what we thought we could give. And God said, that ain't nothing. I'll, I'll supply back that, Sean. Not only did we get back what we give, gave and above that, but we got something eternal along with it. The joy of the promise of the scripture that says it is more blessed to give than receive. You know that, don't you? You know that. For those of you who have walked that life, you know that when you let go of greed and you let go of protection of your resources and you let go of your kingdom building and you start to build the kingdom in other people's lives, it's actually kind of fun. It's actually awesome. And it's not just awesome in what you see happening in their life, but it's awesome in what you see happening in your life. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand, verse, 13, verse 12, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. The people of God responded to Nehemiah's rebuke and said, let it not be done again. We are coveting before God and with you that we will make restitution for what we've done and we will live differently from here on out. God's not here this morning as he's challenging you in your areas of giving and in in Maybe he's challenging you, if he is, in those areas. He's not here to um, bring condemnation in your life. He's here to bring conviction so that you can make things right and move on in joy. And move on in victory. He's challenging them and God's challenging us to generosity. To not oppress, to not forget, to not judge, but to generously give and let God be God in people's lives.
oftentimes I hear this thought about giving. Um, you know, I just want to really get a good job. I want to make a lot of money so I can give. Well, what are you doing now until you make money? Do you still have a giving heart? Do you still have a place where you say, I can give above and beyond because God is my giver? God is saying you can. We must constantly deal with our greedy, selfish heart and allow God to do something in us. Lastly, someone has to set the example. Nehemiah went on to say in verse 14 through 19, hey, this is how I lived. Listen, he says, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until the 32nd year, which was 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor, but the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their um, assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work of this wall. He got in there with them. All the men were assembled there for work. We did not acquire any land. We didn't take anything extra for ourselves. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those um, who came to us from the surrounding nations. Love it. Believers and unbelievers ate at my table. And each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every ten days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were too heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I've done for these people. Nehemiah was a man of privilege. He was a wealthy man. Allotted with the opportunity to make more wealth with his power. And he chose not to use his power for gain. But he chose to use his power to serve. The message for us this morning is how are we using our power that God has given us. The gifts, the resources. Are we using them to serve, to give, or to gain for our own benefit? He who has been given much more is required. For those of us in this room that see ourselves as wealthy. I'll let that rest with you to whether or not you feel like you are or not. To you who have been given much, you know that there's great responsibility from the Lord. I often think about um, the lottery tickets that are laying on the ground and stuff, and I think, God, um, I don't buy lottery tickets, so this is not my, my path, but God, if I were to, to receive a large amount of money, do I really want it? Because I know what is required of me 